0: Namaste. So, when I saw the arrangement here and Sethi Ji knows, I was a bit hesitant to speak here. So let me tell you the secret. Though I have been saying it's about people, because we are right next to relics and Shirobindo, such a wonderful presence is here. So when you are in the presence of the holiest of holy, you don't speak, you just (laughs) remain silent and receive in silence. Uh, but then I remembered from something from the Upanishads, K in Upanishad, he says, There the speech reaches not. Speech can only throw hints and suggestions, it doesn't reach there. And yet, and that is the saving grace, that from which the speech is born. So we can take it that if he inspires, if she inspires, that's the only way to speak about these scriptures. They were not born of analytical thought. When it is said that they are not rational, it means that they are supra-rational. Indian mind has always distinguished between the infra-rational, the rational and the supra-rational. We live in a bandwidth of rational thought. Rational thought moves on the surface of things. This is a chair, this is a table. How are they connected? That's made of plastic, this is wood, and something of the wood is (laughs) there in our brain. That's why we say touch wood, etc., etc. We classify, we put together. That's rational thought. Its data is gathered from the outer senses. That's its limits. But way back, uh, and as we just... uh, he was reading from Sri Aurobindo that uh, even material science has reached that point where it is beginning to see the basic unity behind all these different appearances. What is the basic unity? The atomic substratum. But what it fails to understand is how these atoms came into existence. What? What created atoms and buttressed them together, and solid objects, the phenomenal world, the senses, all this is a wonderful science we find revealed in the Upanishads. <clears throat> but just to go a little backward, how the um, uh, or maybe going backward is to go forward sometimes, like the story of Daksh Prajapati, <laughs> so um, the earliest recorded. Um, Spiritual thoughts, spiritual experiences, spiritual revelations, call it whatever, is no doubt the Vedic thought. Some people would say it is Zoroastrianism and I have, you know, there has been, I am not entering into these metaphysical, uh, historical elements. If you read the typical Western historians, they would say that, well, uh, everything has happened between 1500 to 2500 BC because their world begins there. But there are plenty of evidence to tell us, to show us that Vedas are much, much, much before that. So uh, that's one part of it, just because. And the Vedas themselves say, the rishis of the Vedas, they say that there were those who have gone before us, the forefathers. So that's not documented. But they say that we learned from them. Who were they, we don't know. They don't mention, no name is mentioned. So, Vedas are the first recorded documents. So, they have recorded. they have, And how was it uh, transmitted? By oral means. For a long time by oral means. Then it came to be, you know, written. So, this is a background of the Vedas. We know that there are four Vedas. There were three to begin with. Uh, Rig, which is the oldest. It consists of rigs, basically. All the mantras related to fire and invocations. Very profound... Um, Experiences are enshrined there Then you have the ajur Which relates to Yajna uh, Works And we have the psalm Which are hymns Sung in praises Basically by and large And then later on We had the Atharveda Which is about the You know various magics Uh, We call them magic But they had the ways Mantras And how to deal with everyday life Issues uh, Cure of you know Various ailments etc etc It's about the occult Aspect of uh, creation. So they are these Vedas are known as A Pavurushaya. A means you have not really put an effort. <laughs> what does it mean? It means that they flow as an effortless revelation to the seeking soul. This is what it means. Normally, if I have to do something, I have to put in effort, if I have to give a talk. People have to put effort, they have to, you know, if you have to read something, I have to put effort. They have to put, after reading, I have to understand all this. But when there is a revelation, it comes as a result of seeking and it contains within it the knowledge, the wisdom that is there. So it's like suddenly we have, for instance, just to give an instance, in Bhagavad Puran, there is the Akashwani. Now, who heard the Akashwani? Some people... They are heard. Now it contains within itself the entire, you know, future in a way. Those who want to read it, it's not just about Krishna's birth and he'll kill Kansa. It means that the old world is going to end. Do it whatever you may. The old world which was centered around a few kingdoms, Kansa is one of them, Jarasandh is another. Why? Because Krishna is coming. The divine advent is going to take place. And all that belongs to an old way of life is going to collapse. It contains within itself a summary of the past and the future. So this is how these revelations occurred to the rishis. And they uh, wrote them in a language which, uh, you know, it is called as a, the first, uh, when you see a dawn, let us say, how do people, supposing somebody has never seen a morning, He suddenly got born in Antarctica (laughs) During the dark phase And for months he never saw anything like morning He heard from his parents You know, one day they will be Subha kabhi toaayi And you know, he is waiting One day he sees the dawn And if the child could speak that time How would he explain? He may say just Ah, oh, wonder Kya hai, lal He may say a hundred words And all these words are pointing towards one thing, with many aspects, the splendor of the morning. To some it is the morning, which sun, to others, poets will use it. And the poet says that the dawn will come. What is he referring to? Hope. When Shelley says, if winter is near, spring is not far behind. Is he talking an inane... Um, uh, literal thing that uh, we all know that yes, after winter, spring comes. What's the big deal? He is saying that if you have, go, you are going through. You know, it's about the uh, cycles which follow one after another. He is talking of many things. We all can understand now that even in the dar- the darkest night, prepare the greatest dawn. Just wait, learn to endure with hope and faith. So similarly, we see in the Vedas the language is cryptic, cryptic to the crude mind somebody will be crude to say that you know what is Shelley saying He's saying something we all know what is the big deal spring is going to come everybody knows about it what is so poetic about it but we all know that yes uh, the person who cannot see in it a profound truth is foolish so this is what started happening with the Vedas over a period I am talking now coming to the Max Muller era they remained like an extant scriptures and this used to happen time to time. Vedas, uh, you know, they it was difficult to understand because they were full of images, full of symbols. Ganga, Yamuna, Saraswati were about the, uh, you know, three streams which are within us. Um, when it was said that, you know, Sapt and the rains that pour from heaven, Parjanya is pouring the rains. So it's not, they are not describing clouds are pouring rain. Somebody has to be foolish to, you know, (laughs) write clouds are pouring rain. It doesn't require rocket science to understand it. There is something more which we are missing. So, when he spoke about invocation of the sun, so do we really believe that they felt that by their prayer the sun is going to rise in the morning? No. They are talking about the sun as the source of all knowledge, all light in this creation. So the Vedic rishis knew very well what they are speaking and those who were immediately around them knew what they are speaking. But as uh, it happens, period of time passes. So there is a second layer which got added to the original writing. But though the second layer is also considered as as part of the Vedas. And that second layer was Samhitas, Brahmanas and of course... uh, Aranyaks and the Upanishads. I think there was a camp, so must have already, all this must have been discussed. But still, just to quickly summarize. So, here we see that basically, while the Samhitas uh, about the songs and the Brahmanas took up the ritual parts. So, we see Vedic rituals. So, what were these rituals? I'll come to it a little later. They elaborated on the ritual part of the, they were embedded in the Vedas, they took out and They explain the rituals, uh, described in great detail, which we see sometimes being practiced. And uh, the Aranyaks, but much more so the Upanishads. Aranyaks have a mix. Uh, They elaborate upon the rituals, some of the mantras, and they also talk about the philosophical element. So some of the Aranyaks are regarded as the Upanishads. So what are the Upanishads? The Upanishads take a pure wisdom, the knowledge of what is there in the Vedas. So broadly speaking, we have two aspects of the Vedas. One is Jnanakand and the other is Karmakand. In the Vedas, they are intertwined with each other because they believed in the integrality of life. So when you read a Vedic hymn, it's like a person coming. So, you know, how do you recognize? You recognize a person, let's say, Uday is coming and say, Oh, there, my friend is coming. Upanishad said, no, no, don't, you know, this, this, uh, his body, dress, all this, no, that's not relevant. So what is relevant? I see a seeker who is brilliant, who is coming. So what has he done? He has taken out the essence of what the person is. Vedas describe the totality. They talk about the creation, they talk about, Earthly things, worldly things, and otherworldly, and the supraworldly, and the transcendent, everything together. And because this cosmos is interwoven, they weave it. So that's why they are the highest secret. But then human mind, it uh, at some point, wanted only the uh, knowledge part. Because uh, they couldn't connect completely connect with the karmakand. So that became the Upanishads. And... It it has two meanings from where this whole thing comes. Veda means knowledge. And if you have to put it that what is that secret knowledge we can say Upanishads. <laughs> and it's also called as Vedanta the end of knowledge. So some people um, believe or take it that Upanishad is greater than the Veda. It's like I am ultimately taking out shedding out all the unim, apparently unimportant thing. There is nothing unimportant about it but we have lost the meaning. So apparently unimportant things and I am only keeping the Essential aspect. So it is uh, a way to look at it, but they call it Vedanta. Ved, Ved comes knowledge, Vidya. So with Ved, knowledge. But what kind of knowledge? It is not any knowledge. In the Vedas and the Upanishads particularly, it is very clearly described. There are two kinds of knowledge. There is a lower knowledge and a higher knowledge. So what does it mean? Is it a distinction or is it a way of looking at it? things? So lower knowledge is what deals with the divi- divided sense through which we understand. This is a table, this is composed of wood, wood has come from there, etc, etc. It is a kind of knowledge, practical knowledge, it is important, it has its own place. But knowledge in the sense of the rishis is oneness. I must first know what is the essential fundamental element, the source from where wood and uh, uh, you know all the things have come the man who is going to shape it now what, I, what is the difference why should they try to know it because this knowledge can only be really understood if we know the original source this was the whole fundamental doctrine and it empowers you to any extent now you have things at the source how the source became this and the whole sense begins to change Say for instance, when we have a system of prashad, so somebody may say, but God has not eaten it. you're just having a belief. But what is the meaning behind prashad? So the meaning behind the prashad is that, well, it's not whether God has eaten it physically or not. God is in everything. He is everywhere and I am only invoking his presence in this. And I am taking it with this faith that now it has been touched by God. Like a king when he gives Nazrana, what does he do? He doesn't. Take, he just looks at it and then says distribute it to the kingdom. So it becomes a Nazrana from the king. There is a similar thing in the Bible, a doctrine in Christianity which they have completely forgotten. It is the doctrine of transubstantiation. So what do they do? They base it on the Eucharist, the, the story of Christ. Why I am saying this is because see the yoga was everywhere, it got lost. But in India it was kept intact. So, they Christ when he was going for crucifixion, he cuts his loaf of bread into different pieces and gives to people. And then he distributes the wine to everybody and says, this is my body, the bread, and the wine, this is my blood. Now you see, if somebody doesn't understand mystic truth, he will say, how grotesque, how crude, how vulgar. And if somebody is a vegetarian, he will feel shocked. But a mystic will completely understand because it's there. Even that's exactly how the western world could never understand the Vedas. They had discarded their own mysticism. Actually crucified Christ, literally, twice. And built a religion around it, forgot the mystic element in it. But we kept it. Partly by faith, partly because mystics kept coming. We allowed this evolutionary dimension in Sanatana Dharma is the most marvelous thing. That we are not stuck to one book, one master. So we allow, knowledge you know, remains fresh, new revelations come. So Vedas are not a book which are written and ended. Always there will be new revelations because, why? Because the truth is infinite, that's precisely what it means. That you can't close it, shut it in one particular or four books. So Vedas had two senses when the Rishis used it. One sense was, as we understand today, the Ved mantras as they are in the book. But Veda also meant the knowledge which is embedded in creation. It is embedded? How does the atom know that there should be? I mean, when I read physics, I was shocked. That it needs in the outer layer two electrons or eight electrons, otherwise it will become imbalanced. I said, who taught the electron? I, you, I am learning it. How did the electron know? And if we look at this world, we will be fascinated by a conscious... There is nowhere, you know, unconscious thing. Gene is an unconscious thing. But it builds human beings who are conscious. Today, genetics don't understand. They use the word evolutionary gap. We are trying to explain man and his consciousness based on genes which are themselves unconscious and you go backward atoms, they are unconscious. So, but the Vedic Rishis understood this. Now I am coming to Upanishad. They discovered this formula and they declared, Chetanas Chetanana. What does it mean? Even in the most unconscious element, there is consciousness embedded in it indirectly we can see it we can feel it but we can't prove it because the behavior of an electron is not though well nowadays they speak about choices of the electron but it's not a conscious choice electron is not saying I want to go through the slit or this that's a different uh, I'll not get into physics right now but chetanas chetana naam. it's a profound discovery you may say what's the big deal what, wh- what does it mean how does it connect to us so we must connect it to our own life if there is consciousness in everything, how should I treat material objects? Should I treat it with disdain? Eh, toh, materialism matter hai, what has it got to do? This division which came later has been the bane of India. This is not how we, it's when you look at the ancient Indian civilization, we treated matter with respect. Why? Because there is consciousness in it. Because there is consciousness in it, there must be ways and means that I can awaken that consciousness within that jada. Why? Because there is nothing which is completely jada. There is chetan in it. That's how we have those mantra with the arrows. That's why we have the prana pratishtha. Why? Because consciousness is embedded in it. I can invoke Shiva out of it if I know the process, know the method. I can even convert one metal into another if I know the process. Why? Because ultimately there is oneness. So we understand the power of oneness. Very often we say that India gave to the world power of zero. Well, yes, but we also gave much more importantly the power of one. This oneness is called knowledge in the Vedas when we understand oneness and we understand the one within everything call it by whatever name it will be there it, it doesn't matter that is knowledge all else is ignorance Now, ignorance is not absence of knowledge it is partial knowledge from ignorance you can't build oneness but from the one you can Bring back infer multiplicity to give an example. So uh, there is this um, nice embossed image of in front of me, Shri Krishna and Arjun. Now, this is one image, and I look at it and I connect with it. But from this, I can take out each element and describe the horses, what they mean. The and I can write a treatise on horses, the reins, what it means metaphysically and physically. So I can take out a whole world. But if I just yoke horses and a lagam and put a person out there, because there is a person out there and I put behind him one who is holding the lagam and the chariot is there, and I put in a man. Uh, who has Danushban. that doesn't make this image you have to know this image to derive this sense which today we are deriving if you don't know this image it is just another rath sarthi you say ah yes that's how people see Mahabharata if supposing at the end of Mahabharata BBC CNN came and asked Sir, tell us about this that and ok about Krishna can you say a word so what, what BBC would have reported? He was a Gwala who was uh, driver of Arjun. That's correct. <laughs> we would say silly. After all, BBC, jitni buddhi, utna. <laughs> but what do we see? We don't see that. We see the Lord sitting there. Now how do we see? With what eye we see? That's how the Vedic rishis proceeded. And they brought out this entire So when we say "chaitanya Chetnanam Now oh, potential Krishna is in everyone But here he is embodied This is the difference We too can discover Krishna within us This is the practice of yoga If every time I repeat to myself "chaitanya Chetnanam I will have no fear Even in the most uh, You know Deadliest of situations What will I say? There is the one consciousness within it. See how beautifully this, is, this same truth is narrated in the story of Prelad. So later on the Puranas, they, they narrated the same truth. So what does Purana say? They don't go into mantras and elaborate metaphysical thought. It simply puts two uh, type of, two gospels. One is Hiranyakashipu. He has uh, all the outer way, means of death he has mastered. Yet he dies. Because the incalculable, unknowable X factor is always operating in life. What is prelat done? He says one. That's all he knows. Wherever he is, one is there. Vishnu is there. Hari, 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 Hari. In the end, Hari is Yasim, is it is he there in this uh, material pillar? He says, Yes, Hari is there. And Hari comes out, Hari saves him. So, this, this one small little fraction of a sloka, it can transform a life. Actually, literally it can transform. Nityo Nityanam, I should not treat material objects with... Where did this Mayavad, all this came later on, which we will talk about. Then, another great truth, they came. So, this was Chetanas Chetananam. Nityo Nityanam. In everything that is transient, otherwise we become so pessimistic, no? Are sab, transient hai, we don't say angur khatte hai. <laughs> we say, transient. When something is taken away from us, we say transient. <laughs> but otherwise we strive for it. But see how beautifully it says, it says, Nityo Nityanam, the one eternal in transient things. It changes the perspective. Yes, things are changing. It is a truth. We cannot deny it. There is change, which is something we see, but there is something unchanging within. So, what is the relation? All these ever changing things are essentially, they are. The eternal who is behind them, it is he who is doing it. He is bringing out different aspects of himself through this ever cycling change. So this change is a direction, this change is a purpose. This change is not a meaningless change. And this again is beautifully described in one of the stories of the Katha Upanishad. Many, we will see very interesting stories in the Upanishads. Full of stories. Satyakam, Jabali... Then one of these stories in Ayatri Upanishad about the creation, how it came into existence. Another one, Ajatashatru and Balaki, where another, we'll see as we go along. (laughs) So, stories are very tempting, but this story from Kathopanishad. So, the story is that the gods have won a victory over the demons. So, they are enjoying, they say, let's call it a party today. So, nicely, they all gather in some. Mountain, paradise, ah, let's have a party. So, As they are together, saying, ours is the victory. Ours is the victory. That time, suddenly, the divine, the eternal, eternal says, uh, they have done a good job, but they need to be taught a lesson. So he appears on the threshold. And uh, everybody asks, Pass identity. He says, I don't carry any identity. Now they are perplexed. So they go inside and report to Indra that, you know, there is somebody who says, I don't have an identity. So, Agni is Jat Veda. See, how Agni is Jat Veda? Agni is the third principle. There is so much knowledge to be, you know, shared, but I don't know. Maybe we'll have questions. So, Agni is Jat Veda. It knows all births. Why? Because... Uh, space is the first condition, elemental condition of matter. Then comes mod, by modifying YU. YU is in that harmonic etheric space, it modifies it. So there are, you know, like in, in uh, air, actually YU is not this air, but this is a representative image. So in YU, you see all these tornadoes forming. Sometimes it flows smoothly. So they are the first effort to create forms. But it doesn't stay, we all know. So, what is required next is the fire element. So fire, electrical element, it begins to, that energy starts bringing it together, coalesce. So fire is the first from where forms begin to emerge. But after fire, they don't remain stable. So you require it to further modify it. Out of fire changes into jala, flow. Begins to get interconnected and then something which can hold it together, the earth principle. They are the five physics forces that we know weak electricity, strong electri- electromagnetic current uh, and then of course the gravitational force which is uh, the prithvi element. Science is reaching that point. So so Indra sends Agni, find out who is he? You have made all. Indra asks him, uh, Agni asks him, who are you? So he says, who are you? First you tell me. <laughs> aap amare ghar aay ho, haam rahe ho, aap ho? so Agni says, you don't know, I am Agni, I, I, what, do, what can you do? I can consume everything. So the eternal picks up a blade of grass, says, okay, I won't go by just your saying that I can consume everything. You consume this blade of grass. Agni says, so simple. He rushes with all his force, but cannot. So he goes back defeated, scratching his head. Who is this guy? So Indra is also perplexed. He sends, why you? So why you? Same dialogue follows and he says, why you? I am why you? I can lift everything up. I can expand, contract. Okay, please show me your power. He tries, he cannot. So then he goes back and says, I I can't. I was powerless before him. So he goes back and tells Indra, I don't know. So Indra says, okay, I'll come and see. So Indra comes and he can't even see, the eternal vanishes, so he chases him. Now you see, these, all these are also connected to the senses and the gods behind the senses and Indra is the divine mind. So he tries to chase, where has he gone? Who was he? And he comes face to face with the divine mother. And she says, you know what, Indra, actually it was none else but the eternal who came to tell you, it's not your victory, it is the victory of the eternal. So what does it mean? How do we practically apply this in life? First thing, as we have another story in the Upanishad, all pride and vain glory are such foolish things. To start, basic lesson. Oh, I did this, oh, I did that. It's so meaningless. Why? Because everything that you do, there is the Nityo Nityanam. It is He to whom all glory belongs. This is a basic, this we all understand. This is a kindergarten level understanding for anybody who wants to take a spiritual life. So, in spiritual life, we don't say, meh, 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 meh. Tu tu, tu tu and have tu tu me, me In spiritual life we say ma 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 Okay that's the way Or om whatever way we want to conceive it This is the basic ground Second is Because gods have built Godliness Devatu in humanity And they may think this is the end But eternal Has other things up his sleeve Things which have not been Manifested so he wants them to understand your work is not over by victory over the, uh, the demons. There is something else which may come. He doesn't tell them. So why? Because he is eternal. You can't put an end to it. All those who say human beings are the last step in the creation, oh, you must be God to know his plans. They say logically, well, he never acted according to logic. Isn't it? So this logic that creation will stop with man is absurd in the face of it. If there is eternal behind the transient maybe there is a better, better, better transience which is going to come. Such a wonderful thing. Third, when we invoke the eternal again you see how it empowers us. People talk about women empowerment. All that they mean by women empowerment is imitating men which is the most, I don't know. uh, Men are not worthy of imitating. They are just worthy of being kept away. That's why you go out, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> no, I mean it in, to an extent. It is. <laughs> Imitating men is the Western idea of women empowerment. We have a cigarette, we to a cigarette. We have man jitna wants to go, we have girte man who koi to go. This is empowerment. Hai. Empowerment, ke, aur fir wo say, look at Sita. Bichari, Abla, Nari. Look Sita now. She has read the Upanishad and lived the Upanishad. So, she—it it is her leela. She has gone deliberately. <laughs> Ravan couldn't have touched her if she wanted. She puts on a veil. Avidyamai. Vidyamai, avidyamai. We will come to that when we talk about Maya. But just that incidence. So, one day Ravan comes. I have got this chandra cut in my hand. I have already killed Brahma. Here is his head. Shows magically. And now you come with me. I have tried to lure you into the palace, you have not come. Now I am going to take you by force. People say, Oh, Ravan was so nice. No, no, he was so nice. He was nice. That's why he didn't come near her. But now he threatens her. So, what does Sita do? She picks up a blade of grass. He says, You cross this, then we'll see. <laughs> He's so afraid. It doesn't dare to cross it. Why? Now this blade of grass becomes a shield. Why? Because she has once again unveiled herself and become one with the eternal feminine. That's how we see Ram when jayant comes, pecks on Mata Sita's feet. What does Ram do? He, all his arrow, bow are inside. One was so they are kept... He picks up a trina and sends it towards him and he goes around seeking help but he cannot because at the end he is told by uh, you know, um, Shivji that you, know, you go back and fall at the feet of those feet that you picked because only he can take back this arrow. Now what does it mean this story? Again the same thing. This eternal, when we discover, it empowers us. That is how this mighty civilization was built. People don't understand. They think it was all, you know, okay, we talk about the splendors of that age. Because they got the right thing. The first step was, let us find the source, the origin. That is the supreme power. So Upanishads are, I mean the Vedas, but Upanishads as I said are the jhana aspect of the Vedas, it's it's the third layer or the second layer which has been formed. So they have discovered those essential discoveries it has brought out. But then, as I said, these discoveries also, we don't we read them. We may read the Kathopnishad, have a nice discussion on it, but it will remain veiled, still veiled. Oh, lovely story in the Kathopnishad. So these were called as Shrutis, why? Because they are heard. Heard means received by an inner hearing, inspiration, intuition, a So the Vedic rishis received it as a revelation. So Vedas, Ved, in that included, the four Ved and the Upanishads, the Brahmanas, the Aranyaks, Samhitas are Shruti. They have been received as a revelation. Then based on it, See how Indian civilization... So, there are the Smritis. So, Smritis are based on those truths, but they have tried to bring it out in a way we can understand it. So, we have the Puranas. Now, Puranas, some Puranas are written by sages. So, they are considered as authentic Puranas. Why? Because they've... Unmodified, undiluted Vedic truth is there in them. For instance, the Srimad Bhagavat Puran, Krishna's life, and Vishnu Puran. They are authentic. They are written by seers. Whereas Shiva Puran and Agni Puran, I mean, I know Shiva is a great God, but they are not regarded as authentic, uh, that authentic. I mean, they have many beautiful truths. The stories are beautiful. But why they are not regarded? Because it was not written by the seers of those times. So this is a different category. And then, even then, Puranas, the stories are sometimes very fantastic, etc., etc. So, we have the Itihasas, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. So, Ramayana and the Mahabharata, what do they do? They are stories, epics. But they are stories which are universally applicable. All the types, human types, you will find, especially the Mahabharata. That's why it's called as the fifth Veda. But the same truths are there. But it has been, it has taken a different form, more relatable, more connectable. That's why it is said about Mahabharata, that what is there in Bharata is there in this Bharata, Mahabharata. And what is not in this Bharata, Mahabharata, is not anywhere else. All the same truths, Dharma is there, adhyatma is there, of course Krishna is there, everything is there in the Mahabharata, the Gita is there, which is the essence of the Vedas. But it has brought things in a more relatable way. The sacrifice, out of ritualistic sacrifice becomes the yagya inside, purification, refinement. We see that in the Gita. There is emphasis on yagya, but that Yajna, Shri Krishna doesn't say that light up a fire and do it with these mantras. He says, take my name and make the offering. That's how he makes it very simple. So that is how age to age we see the Vedas and the Dharma is lost and then... The avatar comes and revives it and then since we have come so far just to complete the picture finally for each age there is a revival of the Vedas so we have Shurbindo, and this for the next coming age he gives us Savitri so that contains all that you find in the Vedas, the Upanishads the essence like the Gita contains and something new for the future so this is where the Upanishads stand There are, generally, if you take the number 108, some will say, but 200, maybe more. Uh, You may be surprised, Akbar even got one. Allaha Upanishad written. (laughs) So well. (laughs) Uh, Poor fellow was trying to reconcile somehow (laughs) in the heart, but it didn't work out because the official language still was Persian. So it never could work out. Anyways, so so that way if you take account there are many 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 upnishads people speak about but there are 12 some people say 14 some say 10 so let's take na teri na meri, 12 12 upnishads are considered as genuine and principal Upanishads. why because they are directly culled from the vedas you can actually trace their origin to you know Shukli ajurveda it's a like krishna ajurveda like that you can trace their origin so in Veda you will see this Shukla and Krishna. So basically it means that Shukla is that which has not been, uh, which has been well organized and arranged. You know, you, when you discover those hymns, so that white and the other is Krishna, the the black. They have not been organized well. It's like raw data which has to be organized. So some of the Upanishads come from one of one of the Vedas, Samved, uh, as I said, Krishna Yajurved, Rigved. They have been culled out from that by by the Rishis. Some Rishis we will find common to both Vedas as well as the Upanishads. Some are not common, like Svetashvatar. is not, not a Rishi in the Vedas, but the whole Upanishad is his name, Svetashvatar. He is a seer. But it is authentic, it is regarded as one of the 12 principal Upanishads. So these Upanishads have taken out the essential Jnana. What does the Veda contain? Tell me in terms of knowledge. It's a wonderful uh, thing, but it had its own disadvantage. You must understand. What was the disadvantage? Now you have started the whole creation and the souls and everything is there. So Vedas described it in totality. The Upanishads describe the essence. So over a period of time, and you will see it, people who took to the Upanishads, they started... Uh, more into meditation, other worldliness, because now you are picking up the essence, jnana. So they even declared karma is not really necessary beyond a point. Up Till you get jnana, karma is needed. Beyond it you don't need. This is, because, this is a misconception of the Upanishads, no doubt about it. But this was the logical uh, conclusion that followed. That Upanishads is talking about jnana, the eternal, the one, so see, nitya nityanam can be interpreted both ways. One is, all this is anitya but there is one nitya. But if you interpret the Upanishad in totality, you don't get that meaning because it is the one who wanted to become many. It is the one who has become the many. So, when you look at in totality, this is not the sense. But people started, uh, I'll take one example, Kena Upanishad. So how does Kain Upanishad? Each Upanishad has its own story. So the disciples have gathered together, there is the sage. Upanishad means, literally means two things. One is sitting at the feet of the master. Sadh to sit. Ni, near or below. And up, uh, up is below. So Upanishad. And Upanishad also means going into the heart of the inner knowledge. You are going to the essential truth. So that's how Upanishad came into existence. So Kain Upanishad starts with this query. A disciple asks, what a disciple and what a question. He asks, sire, tell me, what impels thoughts? Now imagine, have you ever asked this question? We keep saying that, I think, I think, according to me, my view, my opinion. How the thought entered into this... Uh, circle, magic circle and I say my I appropriated it because there is no copyright at those gates how did I say I thought thought, where did it come from now you see this is raised to what level the Vedic rishis when they discovered this discovery of thought, how it comes, they even spoke about navagavahas and dasagavahas the layers of thought starting from the most sensory to the most sublime and that which is beyond the thought. They made these discoveries. They are very profound discoveries. They are actually searches, researches given to us in a platter. But here it is confined to a little narrower thing. And the disciple asks her, Sir, where does the thought come from? What impels my thought to reach where it reaches? How does it reach where it reaches? What impels the thought to make speech? So then the Rishi starts answering in a cryptic way. They are very beautiful, of course, um, mantric. Many of these Upanishads are both prose and poetry. But poetry is really marvelous poetry. If nothing else, we should be proud that, you know, at that age people wrote such marvelous poetry. So, maybe I can read a little bit of this Kena Upanishad poetry because it's so… The rhythm, the meter, the way it goes… So he is asked, that, tell me about that, from where thought comes, how the Rishi is replying, is amazing. The question is by the disciple. Kene shitam patating pre mana, kena prana, pratama, preti yukta. What impels the breath to move? Kene shita?" Vachamima Vadanti Chakshu Shotra Kaudevo Punaruti. What impels my what makes my ears to hear? What makes my eyes to see? Brain, sir, that's elementary. And this is a secret. By the way, even today science is struggling actually. Neuro, neuro, neurological science is struggling. Why? Because we see a stream of photons impacting the brain. Why it takes this image of you and me? Perception, it's a, it's a mystery. So see what, what development these people had. Why I hear a certain kind of sound as music, what is impacting it? Vibrations. And they are reaching and touching the brain, triggering, trung trung. Oh, why this kind of sound is coming inside me? A very profound question and it's, again its answer has implications. So that, the whole thing is consciousness. So today, we say consciousness is a uh, byproduct of brain, but no, brain itself is a byproduct of consciousness. So this is how they proceeded. Of course, many scientists now believe that consciousness is embedded within. So he describes so beautifully, Shrotasya Shrotra Manasomano Vacho Vachoha Vacham Savupranasya Prana The... Hearing of the hearing. The sight behind the sight. The ear behind the ear. It's so, you know, beautiful, no? It makes the heart, uh, what a poetry, what a way they are expressing it. And then he says, see, you want to know about that, but I must caution you. What is he cautioning the disciple? Natatra na gachati Navaga no Nomana you can't see it. I'm telling you something about it, and you can't hear hear it. Your thought cannot reach it. I'm just uh, skipping one after another, and then it gives a a practice, and also it says uh, gives the secret. Yadva chaanabhyutitam, yena vagya that which is unexpressed by the word, that by which the word is expressed. And then he says, Tadeva Brahmaṁ Tom Vidhi nedam yadidam upasati. Usko kya naam dhe rei Wo hai jeske karan aap sun pa rei ho, jeske karan aap deek pa rei ho. Jeske karan you are able to speak. Tadeva not this that men worship here that is know that to be the brahman and not this which men follow after here so it is giving us first step if you worship these outer of the oh kya he is so nicely that speech that this speech no go to the origin of speech the origin of sound origin of word and empower yourself Yan man sana tadeva viddi, nedam that which thinks not by the mind, that by which the mind is thought. <laughs> mind cannot think about the ineffable. but yet it can make the mind reveal itself to the mind. But what is the practice required? Tadeva Brahman Tamvidhi, Nedam Yadi Damu Pasate. If you think mind is all, you will never reach there. You have to find ways and means, and all that it he described here, one after another, to go beyond the mind. Yakchakshushana Pasyati, Yena chakshusi Pasyati, Tadeva Brahman Tamvidhi, Nedam Yadi Damu Pasate. See how metrical, rhythmical, one of the older Upanishads. Just imagine, they, they are our great, grand, great, 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 grand fires. Unki hum. What poetry they wrote, what profound. And so what happens when we read it? Now, uh, obviously, to read it requires a different uh, whole thing altogether. But just imagine, what does it do? It creates a spiritual atmosphere. These mantras have the capacity, just reading them, they have the capacity to create an atmosphere around the mind they, they are aphoristic they suddenly give a shock to the mind and open its windows oh there is something higher, something greater take the isha upanishad isha vasya jagatyam jagat bhunjitha magrida kasya siddhanam just to practice one sloka in life all this that is here is for the habitation of the Lord. Na tera na mera. Na teri na meri. Beech ki nahi. Bhagwan ki. Let's find that point. See this practice. Isha sarvam. Same thing. Nityo nityanam chitana chetana Here he is described as the Lord. Not as a state of consciousness. So. Isha sarvam jagat jagat all that is moving individually and universally all this movement why see the precise description jagatyam jagat 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 that which is moving jagata <inaudible> wonderful jagat yam jagata individual motion within universal motion the atoms to the galaxies and the thoughts and the feelings, everything that is moving. Yet, whatever is moving. Yet, kincha jagat, yam jagat, bhunjita. From there comes the principle of renunciation. It never is yours, it is, belongs to the Lord. So, what do I do? Shall I just not mine, not mine, and I be satisfied? No. He says, then, by renouncing, thou shalt enjoy all things. Tene tene bhunjita, why you want to appropriate? See, there is a difference between enjoying something and appropriating something. That's why one simple exercise with which we will stop. Ever a strong desire seizes us. I have to buy this, I have to buy this. Let's say a dress. Okay. Practice, simple practice. Go to the shop. Look at the dress, don't buy it come back, go then the second day, (laughs) don't buy it. Third day, don't buy it. I can assure you, in less than a week, your desire will pass away. You know, it is a strange thing. And if you buy it, anyways it will pass away, because you realize the absurdity of it. (laughs) So look at the secret of joy, of happiness. What creates unhappiness? Desire to appropriate It doesn't mean throw away things. Be with things. Karna fakiri fir kya dillagiri. If you are on floor, if you are on uh, seven star, if you are in a comfortable this thing, you don't have to do that. Make a show of uh, renunciation and detachment so that you will be called great. No. It never belonged to you. What are you going to renounce? You have to renounce what belonged to you. It never was yours. So there is no question. All that you have to renounce is this sense that it's mine. It is not yours, it is, belongs to the divine, everything belongs to the divine. This is Just to give a feel that how beautiful, profound even uh, each verse is so majestic and see how they move from one intuition to another. The Rishi is not bothered about explaining, you know, how it belongs to the divine. Uh, he is not interested in that. <laughs> he will go from there to the next so that you don't misinterpret that therefore I should uh, leave things no live a hundred years doing verily works in the world he makes sure that you don't uh, misunderstand then he further reinforces so that there is no confusion those who uh, slayer of their souls they don't complete the curve of destiny don't take the challenge of life you have to put in modern language They go to dark sunless worlds, those who commit suicide. Dark sun. Why? Because they have not taken the challenge. You can't run away like that. You will have to come back with a much greater challenge. Then it will keep on again and again qualifying, again and again qualifying. And this way it reconciles this world and we will read something about it a little more later. But Isha Upanishad is so magical that many people have, even Shankaracharya, he tried to tweak it. But, why? Because it is world affirming. And ultimately, Mayavad, what did it do? That is the problem, as I said, this little kebut about reading the Upanishad or uh, the typical traditional Vedantic explanations, not the Upanishads. Upanishads are wonderful. I have heard from people, keen Upanishad is otherworldly because it says, Tadeva Brahman tam Viddi. But when I read it, I felt this is so much thisworldly, it gives us the right way. The gods and beyond the gods to embody the eternal in a body. And then what happens, it even describes how such a person helps the world because he becomes sweet as honey. So anytime you see a person very serious and very grim faced be sure (laughs) eternal is not there. Why? Because raso What is he? He is embodiment of ananda, of sweetness. And such a person whatever he does wherever he goes whatever he speaks automatically radiates and spreads it into the world how beautiful way it gives us to live i'll i would have forgotten the time i'll take a break i think we have a break right now and then come back at whatever time i don't know i have not any i don't have any format in mind uh, but uh, i do hope at least tomorrow to take up sri Arvind Upnishad. this is a wonderful book but meanwhile we'll try to just touch from here and there, maybe couple of stories, couple of profound utterances, a little bit here and there. It's a vast subject. Uh, so cheer sagar me ek pani And most importantly I would um, very much appreciate if we um, have questions ev- I mean every day. Uh, whenever you wish to, because uh, it will open a wide field. Questions need not be confined to Omnishats. It can be anything under the sun, because so that we have a wide field open to us. Okay.